listening to KKUP. This is Out of Our Minds Poetry Radio. Uh, I see you caller uh, calling the station, but I've got to call uh, read my poet's bio first. And then if you give us a call in about five more minutes, I'll go ahead and answer the phone for you. All right. So uh, tonight's poet is Raul Fernandez. Uh, Raul Fernandez lives and writes in Vancouver with his wife and two sons. His first collection of poems, Transmitter and Receiver, out of Nightwood Editions in 2015, won the Dorothy Livesey Award and the Debut Litzer Award for Poetry in 2016. Transmitter and and Receiver was also a finalist for the Gerald Lampert Memorial Award and the Canadian Authors Association Award for Poetry. Raul Fernandez, with an S, not a Z. (laughs) I was going to say Fernandez, but I just went with Fernandez. Um, has been published <laughs> has been published in numerous literary journals and anthologies, including the best Canadian poetry in 2015. So here's my interview with Raul. I hope you guys enjoy it. So here we go. Hopefully no bumps this time. I was turned to you by Ayaz Pirani, who said, you know, this guy is writing these great poems and this book is really amazing. And he read your book, Uh, your poem possible wolf on the show Mm -hmm. that's right yeah i did (laughs) it was uh, touching to hear him read it um (laughs) i was walking around my room uh, with with trying to put my baby to sleep uh so it was it was a nice poem to hear while i was doing that yeah and you know Mm -hmm. he read that poem he read it right here in my kitchen on Mm -hmm. sitting on my table 
And um, it was really special, Raul. It was really special. That's a very special poem. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was so special to, to feel uh, his appreciation of it and then to hear your your reaction was such a delight. <laughs> um, it's it's, it's uh, not often that poets get to kind of peer in on uh, uh, someone experiencing their poem. Um, so I felt very lucky. Yeah, um, it is. It is funny to think about it that way, because I, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, you wrote a book, I wrote a book, Ayaz has written books, most of the people I speak to have books, but we don't often encounter our reader, do we? No, not not very often. I, I guess at readings you do, and sometimes someone, a stranger, will send me a little note or tweet at me saying they liked something. Um, but yeah, we we don't often know where where these things go, and they, the book sort of has a life of its own um, at a certain point uh, out in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you kind of have to let that let that just happen <laughs> yeah I mean even now sometimes I think about some of the passages I have in my book and I'm like oh gosh I wrote that geez people are reading that <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, is it for, is it for you the stuff that uh, is more um, like you feel like you've exposed something or is it something that's you feel too personal about or I think yeah a little bit of both I mm-hmm. think that um I think that when I wrote the book, I was in a space where everything was everything was public. And then, mm. like we were talking about in the beginning, all of a sudden, my world starts to close up a little bit. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what have I done? <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. So the while writing it, you had a different mind frame than, than you do now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, after the baby. I think yeah, that's, so. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, um, so where does your so where does your book, uh, transmitter and receiver, where does it come from for you, or what how what how did this project come into the world? Okay, well, I I think I've just been writing for a really long time. Um, off for a good chunk, it was kind of in solitude. I didn't really have a a writing community or anything. It was just it's a teenager and angsty and um, sad and uh, just <laughs> sitting in my room. Uh, writing poems and I think eventually they started getting good or better than just sort of angsty stuff Um, and I got a little bit of encouragement from like I did a bit of college Uh, a teacher there gave me a a fair bit of encouragement so just enough to keep going and and uh, I just kept going Uh, at some point I uh, decided I would take it seriously and go back to school. Um, I did like a year-long kind of mentorship-based program uh, they have here, uh, the Writer's Studio. And um, that kind of got me into gear and made me feel like, oh, I can, I should really take this seriously as, or, 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 or just kind of embrace the responsibility of, uh, of it if I love it so much mm-hmm. uh, and it means so much to me. Uh, and then just started working on my book, and it was just trying to get good poems. It wasn't, I didn't really have a, an idea of what the book was uh, going to look like. I just wanted good poems that I felt strong about that showed different uh, different parts of my, my mind, I guess. Uh, yeah. And, well, yeah. you did it. You did it because this <laughs> book is fantastic. Thank you. Um, I... Um, I I mean, it's been a couple of years now since it's been published, and it's hard not to see the uh, mis- mis- mistakes, but just places where I could have made things better. But I'm 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 proud of it. I I, uh, I think it represented me in in that time pretty well, um, and uh, I wasn't sure if it would hold together uh, as a book because it's sort of it's pretty loose and there, there isn't like a one unifying thing that holds it together but uh uh it it seems like maybe there are books i like that are like that uh that don't have a common theme and maybe that's okay for the this first book right um Um, i mm -hmm. and i was gonna say i i i hear you in saying that there isn't necessarily a common thing theme that pulls the book entirely together which is actually really refreshing um in contemporary poetry 
um, I felt with my book uh, in when I was working in the MFA um, that there was a lot of pressure to only create poetry if the poetry was inside of the book form. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so you you were writing towards a book in yeah. a sense, or like, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I, I, I mean, I, I was doing that maybe near the end of the book, or once I realized, oh, I'm kind of have I have enough poems, uh, almost enough poems to to make a book. I would try and think about the gaps or ways of connecting some of the poems, mm-hmm. but it was it was fairly far in the process. Mm. Um, and and now having having a published book and thinking that oh I I'm meant to be working on the next one it's hard not to think about um, about the book as as uh, as a piece in itself and what what poems I should write towards it so I'm probably more in the in the in the mind frame of uh, wanting to write something. Um, cohesive and uh you know uh, maybe a project but i'm also resisting it at the same time yeah uh, well i mean because, i think yeah. oh sorry go ahead no no uh you go ahead i was gonna say because um i really think that that your language and the way that you um illustrate your images through the poems is actually the combining factor like it's the thing that leads your reader through at least it le- led me through Oh, good. I'm I'm glad to hear that. I, I feel I was hoping that that would be enough. Um, that uh, the the voice or the my sensibilities would be enough of a a binding uh, for for the book. So um, I'm glad yes. you feel that way. Yes, absolutely. I mean, throughout the book, I I kept saying, "Gosh, well, you know," I kept saying to myself, "Your grasp on just." language and how language works together and how these sort of um, moments in the poems uh, rub up against each other and then move forward so quickly. I think that in itself is definitely a driving force. And I, I'm really grateful for your book and the way it functions. So I don't think you have anything to worry about. I'm jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Uh, Thank you. Um, I, I, if I could say some things about about your book, I, I think I was jealous <laughs> reading it because uh, uh, and would you consider it a long poem um, or is it um, like I, I don't know I, maybe I'm just yes, asking. I yeah that. I did I did I did consider it a what I was calling like a choreo poem uh, something in the vein of um, Shanji's for colored girls piece. Do you know okay. that piece? Uh, I I don't know. Okay. Um, Anyway, this it's this long choreo poem about women in the black community and, um, well, black women. And um, mm. there was a, a movie made of it and everything. Anyway, it was a really binding influence for me. And I loved the fact that, like, her book uh, for colored girls was sort of just, it was like a play. It was like in between a play and poetry and a story and that's mm. kind of what I wanted for my book, so that's what I was working yeah. on. So I'm glad you picked up on that. Yeah, I know. I really like it. I, I'm very tempted to to try something like that, um, especially because I think you can you can have these these really interesting echoes, and you do uh, repeat lines and and have them kind of morph into into other contexts and things. Uh, it just seems like a very exciting thing to do. Um, uh, and and I think I don't know. It's 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 exciting to read a book that's um, that's uh, so. What's the word? It's it's just connected in in a way that sort of like creates its. It just creates its own space and world. Um, that uh, it just it, I don't know. It makes it more memorable to me. Um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not. I was, had some eloquence and then I lost it. Um, but uh, yeah, That's no. My story of my life too: eloquence and then lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I've tried writing a long poem before, and it it just didn't work because probably I was I was maybe just trying to write a long poem and not having the maybe the subject uh, be strong enough to deserve uh, a long poem. Um, so I was kind of pushing it 
a way that I it didn't want to be pushed. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I think yours works so well in in that in in what you're uh, what you're bringing into it and and um, yeah, the world you're creating. Thank you. <laughs> this is an interview for you, not for me, though. <laughs> Let's. Um, <laughs> thank you. We can you talk so- about me. It just makes me more nervous, though. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I just say I think you should be proud of it. It's a good book. I'll, I'm going to recommend it to some people. Thank you. Um, I I appreciate it. Um, it's been it's been a struggle, you know, because since that book, I have um sort of turned my back on the academic world. So I'm I don't I don't feel the need to be part of um teaching anymore because right. because I felt too exploited throughout the process and it's been a really hard transition so um although I do have a second and a third book that that are waiting to go out into the world I don't know where to send them because I don't know what to do when you leave academia as a poet oh, okay that's that's interesting do you feel like the the system uh, of poetry publishing in this in the states is set up to lean towards uh, more academic uh, poets being published, or like, th- is there a process that that mm. it um, it opens more doors when you're in academia? Or yeah, I think that, and I also think well, I do think that. But I remember when I talked to JP Dancing Bear when I took over this show, I was saying something to the vein that I think I'm going to leave the academic world, and he said, "Well, no good poet really came from academia." <laughs> <laughs> And he wasn't. He wasn't part of yeah. the academic world. And yet he had conversations with amazing poets over the 15 years. And he has multiple, multiple books of poetry out. And so I guess there are models um, in the world of poetry in America that um, are okay with you if you're not in academia. But I guess I've just been in academia so long you know, I mean, I went to school for so long and it was such a goal. It was like a dream for me to become a professor. That's what all I wanted for myself from from the moment I started my education. And, right, right. and to get to the end and realize that that was such a privileged notion, mm. like the position of, of a professor in America really only goes to the privileged. It, it does not go to anyone like me. And if right. it does, it's very, very, very rare. It's like winning the lottery. So, yeah. yeah. So when I realized that, yeah, when I mm-hmm. realized that, I just said, gosh, what am I going to do now? So I guess for me, it's more like a personal a personal change in, in my mm-hmm. mind. So it's been really hard. Um, how about you? What's the scene like in, in Canada? Like, how do you, how does a poet fit into the world in um, where you are? Yeah, I I don't know if I can. I hmm. well in Vancouver. I'm. Uh, I feel very connected to a community here, and I don't. I don't feel like uh, I've come out of uh, um, any kind of academic uh, institution. I've done like very little mm. uh, school compared to most of the poets I know. But at the same time, I've always. I've also been pretty accepted by um, by the writers around me, and I've been asked to do things that. I would think only uh, professors and academic people get to do, like judging for contests. Or uh, I was recently on a panel; it was the first time doing that, and I've, I feel very strange uh, being uh, asked to be uh, in these positions uh, because I, I don't feel uh, I'm part of that world. Um, so, yeah, it it I don't feel part of it, but it's it's nice to be to be accepted uh, there as well. And uh, I, I'd like to think, I probably have a maybe a naive notion of, of how things operate here, but uh, I'd like to think that where the poets here are very, uh, um, they're encouraging and they are excited about uh, the, po- the poems themselves, the work, and they uh, want to support people that they, uh, feel are good writers, uh, and um, there are definitely probably politics involved, and I, but I tried not to pay attention to that too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I'm feeling like at least a lot of the younger poets, and, and I know a bunch of 
poets at UBC. Um, they're just exciting young people that like seem to have their the right attitude towards it and uh, have uh, trying exciting uh, things in their work. Um, so, yeah, I try to tap into that energy as much as I can, and um, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I'm approaching it. Um, I I've never want I've never thought that I could possibly be a teacher. I didn't think I had enough confidence, or uh, I felt like I had have to have this great wealth of knowledge. Um, and even even in poetry, my my reading of it's kind of spotty. There's big gaps of what I know, haven't um, read enough of. Um, so, but I, I've got a little taste of teaching, and I, re- I really, I really enjoy it. Like I've done a few kind of high school visits and even elementary school, mm. and I, I like, I like coming in and uh, uh, doing a little song and dance, yeah. um, and getting kids excited about poetry. But I, I don't think I could be a professor um not anytime soon anyways yeah Um. (laughs) it's it's you know i I mean more power to people who are working in the academic world as adjuncts and part-timers and Mm -hmm. you know i know a lot of i know a lot of poets in america that have to live in that space they have to they have to be adjuncts and they have to be poets because to be a poet they need something to pay the bills and being an adjunct right. is extremely exploitative but mm. it is a job for a poet <laughs> right right it yeah it uh it seems to lend itself well if you if you're wanting um poetry to be part of your life including your career and way of making money that that's the first uh thing usually um, available to you, right? Uh, being a professor, mm-hmm. being in in the university. Um, yeah, I've, I don't know. At some point, I think early on, I just decided that I would just do day jobs or just have a steady income in something completely unrelated and uh, try to do my work on the side. Yeah, um, which is a it's it's a bit of a it's a compromise, um, but it's also I don't know. I, for a while, I've liked that that, uh, yeah, that I, barrier. Yeah, I think it's actually good because, um, well, what I found when I when I was working before I became pregnant, I was working at a gallery, an art gallery, mm-hmm. and doing just a lot of administrative work. And I found that at the end of the day, I wasn't too exhausted and I didn't have papers to grade. So yeah. I could actually go and just read a book. Um, yeah which I couldn't do when I was <clears throat> when I was a professor or when I was <clears throat> a part-time I couldn't read books for myself reading a book was always for the students it, it was it was reading it for a lesson you know and in right. this case I don't have to I get I get to read books like your book and other people's books for the radio yeah. show but but that's fantastic cuz I get to share them with everyone you know with everyone right yeah um, and you read them probably in a different way knowing that you don't have to teach it or yeah is that is that right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but sometimes mm-hmm. i do sometimes i do bring a little bit of teaching into it i think um i think that that's sort of the fun of the radio show one of my friends um was encouraging me when i was really low and i had just decided to leave um adjuncting and basically the world was really scary at that point and she said, well, you basically have a class every Wednesday night from 8 to 9 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. But anyway, I want to get you to read a few poems. Uh, sure. Okay. I feel like I could talk uh, to you all day about everything. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't mind that. Well, my, my wife and children would mind it at some mm-hmm. point. But, my uh, husband, too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Baby. Uh, uh, you would uh, do you want me to read a poem that uh, yeah like a favorite poem well I'm gonna yeah well I, I'm actually gonna ask you to read from your book um, transmitter okay. and receiver sure. um, I was gonna ask if you would read the first poem by way of explanation I really like that poem great okay that's easy to find um, okay by way of explanation you have this thing you can only explain 
by driving me out to the port at night to watch the towering cranes move container from ship to train, or we go or we go skipping stones across the mirror of the lake, a ghost ship in a bottle of blue Bombay gin by your side. I have this thing I can only explain to you by showing you a pile of computer hardware chucked into the ravine. We hike down there, and blackberry vines grab our clothes as if to say, stop, wait, I want to tell you something too. You have an old photograph you keep in your bedside drawer. I have the song I learned on my guitar. By way of clarification, you send me a YouTube video of a tornado filmed up close from a parked car, or a live stream from a public camera whose view is obscured by red leaves. I cut you a key to this room, this door. There's this thing, a dictionary being consumed by fire, the two of us standing in front of a Rothko until time starts again, a mixtape that is primarily about the clicks and hums between songs. What if we walk there instead of driving? What if we just drive without a, je- a destination? There's this thing I've always wanted to talk about with someone. Now, with you here, with you listening, with all the antenna raised, I no longer have to. <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you. Um, um, oh, it's so gorgeous. <laughs> thanks a lot. Uh, this is one of those lucky poems, uh, at least of the... the the bare bones of it came out very easy and quickly. Um, and then I just had fun kind of adding some some more images and moments into it. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's a, it, it's always hard to know, uh, at least when you're writing a lot of individual poems, to know what to start a book with. Um, and I struggled with, with starting this with, this book with this, but I think it gives you a sense of um, I know, the images that I like to use and um, the just the way I like to move through a poem, maybe. Yes, um, absolutely. And I think it really embodies the title of the book, which is like transmitter mm-hmm. and receiver. It's really this beautiful embodiment of that space of giving and, and receiving between two people and yeah. just sharing a space with someone. I remember my husband My husband uh, was in the Iraq war and he has some PTSD mm. and some issues from it. And mm. um, I remember there was a summer when we got back from China and we had nothing, absolutely nothing. We, we sold mm. everything to move back from China. And he was so depressed. And I drove him for an hour the sun was setting and I drove him for an hour to this beach called sunset beach where, where the sun will go down and you can watch it set. And mm. I drove him to a field and we didn't even make it to the beach. We just sat in the car and we sort of watched the sun fall behind the sand dunes. And I remember thinking, God, I want to write a poem about this, but I never got to it. And right. in some senses, when I read that poem, when I opened your book and I read that poem, it took me back to that space because it's this private relationship between you, between the reader or the speaker and, and the other person. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful. I mean, I have tears in my eyes. <laughs> about it. That's very sweet. Yeah. I, I, uh, I like, uh, thank you for telling me that story. That's, that's, uh, almost bringing tears to my eyes. Um, I, I love it when people communicate in ways that is not uh, simply just words, uh, um, which is maybe odd saying it as a poet because we're dealing with words. But um, I think we, uh, or at least I like, I like the things that that transcend words or that can form a connection. That's um, that's an experience or or a thing that's shared that's um, sort of uh, transcends the the words themselves. Um, so that's what kind of got me uh, going with this poem. Um, I think it was also just noticing that how my friends were communicating. Uh, sometimes they would just be sharing music or uh, at parties. Sometimes uh, we'd sit around and look at odd YouTube videos, Yeah, uh, which I'm, it's, it's a little weird. I don't know if I totally like it, but <laughs> it's, it's like, Oh, this is a, a new way we're communicating or it's, it's uh it's an, another way that we're kind of forming bonds with each other. Um, yeah. That's it's, kind of exciting. It's yeah. like, it's like creating new, um, it's like creating new culture, like a new mimetic space or something. Like we all know the same YouTube video. 
That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. At the same time, I think I, I remember listening to the conversation you had with Ayaz. Um, he was talking about how I'm very uh, in touch with technology because of the technologies uh, in my book, and I really don't feel I'm very um, savvy or or like very in touch with the. I'm uh, into just not not more than most people are, I think. Uh, but uh, I think what I was trying to do with the book was was to sort of use the elements of kind of our contemporary time, um, but also sh- just show how it's it's not that new, or it's it's still it's still the same as like uh, um, you know picking flowers or. Mm. Or or looking at the moon, or uh, doing these things, or sitting with a friend. It's it's um, it's still the same thing at its essence. Uh, does that does that make sense? Yes, that that absolutely makes sense. It makes um, it makes perfect sense. And I was thinking, you know, in in the poem when you talk about seeing these um, the sort of wreckage of a computer, uh, yeah. that part, and I was thinking, you know. It's so interesting that as a poet, you would see that and it's it's part of this beautiful poem. And, you know, someone like my dad would see that and be like, oh, people are just littering these days. You know, <laughs> <laughs> look, well, they just throw I, their I computers feel, down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel that, too, at yeah. the same time. But, uh, <laughs> I think uh, there was a time I was into photography and I would uh, take my camera around and it's going to go for these long kind of loner walks. Uh <laughs> wherever I was living and uh, um, it was often things where there'd be something uh, disjointed or, or something in the wrong context um, uh, that I would just be interested in and it would be like an, an image that I'm like, oh, I want to keep that or I want to sort of remember this um, because it's, it's sort of saying something more. Mm. Um, so I, I think I did a lot of sort of collecting images like that um, and I do that even after f- uh, after I've kind of um, stopped taking photographs. I kind of bookmark uh, images that I see uh, around me, um, and I don't necessarily think like, "Oh, this is definitely going to be a poem," or "I know exactly what I'm going to do with this." But I just sort of try and keep them in my head, and hopefully, when I sit down to write poems, uh, they'll they'll come out. Um, For sure, so that's kind of an approach I take. Uh, with with at least with a lot of the images, they they sort of just came uh, from things I remembered from a while ago. Um, they just sort of showed up again um, right. because I paid attention to them in the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think as poets, we are we are photographers. I mean, mm. we 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 are. I mean, I guess. I don't know about Canadian poetry. I'm so I'm so ill versed in Canadian poets. So please forgive yeah. me. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. We're we're actually a very small country in terms of people, uh, but there are some very exciting poets actually. Right, um, but when I yeah. think about sort of what what we're talking about as poets being like photographers, it's kind of like William Carlos Williams and the Imagist groups, where right. like you know you're trying to you're trying to make a photograph with words in some senses. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're doing that, but it sounds a little bit like it's at least I I I got that impression when I read your book that there was there was a, there was an image in in place for some of these poems. Uh yes, there's there's often it's often the place I start with the poems, like the something an image that that resonates with within me and then it calls mm. more images and it calls more lines. I'm I'm trying to not have that be um, the the only way I write poems, and mm. I've definitely found a lot more appreciation these days for for lines that don't have images that are just kind of beautifully uh, stating something, um, or or just yeah, just, uh, you know, lines of conversation or um, uh, things I can do that are not uh, so image dependent that are still exciting. Wow, um, I think images are exciting still. <laughs> yeah, right, I think it's it's going to be definitely what what com- composes a lot of. I mean, compromises. Uh, what's the word? Um, it uh, they're going to hold the poems together, I think. But um, 
I also am starting to get more excited about uh, adding more things and just to to fill out. Um, like I don't I don't want the poem to just um, just be sort of a set of photographs. Um, mm-hmm. I I'm excited by 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 sometimes just statements now mm-hmm. and, and things people say. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. I think it's, 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 um, and, and the way that people are communicating is starting to change so much. I mean, I just see my brother's text messages to me and they're all emojis and it makes me laugh. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, pretty soon we're going to be reading emoji poems. I know it. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure it's already started. (laughs) um, Can I, can I have you read, can I have you read a couple of poems back to back? Sure. Um, on page 22 and on page 23, these two are the ones that I had flagged as some of my favorites. Okay. Uh, let's see what this is. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. I rarely read these poems, so uh, it's neat that it um, spoke to you. Uh, okay, should I go ahead? Yes, please. All right. The first poem's called You Were Depressed, There Were More Birds. You were depressed. There were more birds in the yard. Rising from the chair was difficult. The yard was overgrown. The lawnmower was in the shed. The weeds were flowering. You couldn't get to the lawnmower. The grass was as tall as your shoulders. You were unable to summon the strength. The yard was audible with insects. You touched the window pane's glass. The outside world thrummed with hidden creatures. You were depressed. There were swallows, finches, flickers, and wrens. Mm. And the next one? Yes. um, the, The next one's called the tulip vending machine. An artificial sun over rows of tulips, a scheduled rain that mists the garden. You put a coin in a slot, a blade curves out, lops a flower near the base of its stem. And sometimes if the stems are too close or blade slightly off, it accidentally cuts too. This is what moves you, how the flaw makes the machine seem organic, time-distressed, human. And you are moved by its other mistake. The blade slices against a stem that isn't there. The trapdoor opens. The absence of a tulip falls into the tray below. And you reach your hand in to collect it. (laughs) That is so cool. That's such a cool poem. <laughs> Thanks. Um, is this a real tulip vending machine or is this just I, in your mind? I, I think it was just in my mind. I, I think I noticed that there were uh, people who were doing interesting things with the vending machines. I think maybe in Japan there were, uh, I, I know there was one so you could get like little beetles out of, like living beetles out of vending machines. Um, so I think I just started, uh, my imagination just went there. Um, <laughs> it really took me to a new place and I was just thinking god that's so cool and so interesting and I love how the flaw is what brings us back to sort of humanity uh, yeah yeah I think that's what I notice in a lot of the technology we use is uh, um, when there's something that that's you know glitchy or something goes a little wrong uh, for for a reason that you can't understand, it feels like oh, it's because it's, or it feels like that's a human thing to do. <laughs> so I, um, it's hard not to to see yourself in it. Um, right. I I always I often wonder who is the person who defines smart and smartphones because every time I use a smartphone, I feel really <laughs> stupid. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> or the, maybe the sm- it's like a smart ass phone. It's like. like <laughs> <laughs> stupid. Yeah, yeah. I feel that a lot of the time too. Um, yeah, and for a while, like I had like a cracked phone, which is sort of what similar to this poem in the sense that like I would like have to tilt it to change the screen to like be able to type things, and uh, it's just ridiculous. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, it's sort of beautiful when it's like that. You're like, oh, I have this tool. Everyone has these these tools that they use to like function as humans. And here I am, like, I feel like I have scissors in my fingers. Right. <laughs> trying, right. trying to use a phone. <laughs> oh, is it is it just like the physical 
like interacting with it that's hard? Uh... Um, no, I think it's I think it's um, well, it's probably because we're so poor that we have really cheap, crappy phones. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so. We can... <laughs> So I, mean, I don't have an iPhone yet. I've never been able to afford one. So no, um, no, I only had an iPhone once, and that was because I was doing work for a nonprofit, and they bought me one, and then I accidentally put it in a cup of water, um, mm. <laughs> in my car. <laughs> I'm, right. you know. So anyway, and so after that, it was done, and my husband was like, "There's no way we're ever spending money on a phone with you in the world. <laughs> like, there's no way." <laughs> So I have this I have this really cheap phone and every time I try and use it like it tells me there's no room in the phone to use it so I just can't use it. Oh no. <laughs> no, it's yeah. really funny. It's it's fine. Yeah. Um I I think I think that if I had access to a smartphone I might be better at being a phone-like person but <laughs> Yeah, no, it's probably good. It's probably healthy for you that you don't have a phone that uh, that, that works. Makes you use it very much. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I've actually yeah, I was hearing about a uh, an app like I think people are you know they they love their phones, but then they realize that they love them too much and they're <laughs> kind of consuming them. And uh, I know people that have like they're almost putting things on their phone to keep them from using it like there's one there's an app that makes all the colors go away like it just makes your phone black and white oh uh, yeah it's just a, a setting and apparently if you if you if your phone is just a black and white thing you don't feel as excited about it and you don't you're on you you're not constantly reaching for it to check stuff mm -hmm. I, I've yet to see if it works I, I might try it um, <laughs> If my <laughs> habits get out of hand. Um, I, I, I'll yeah. never forget um, in China, uh, you know, I think when I think about all of these phones, I think about all the people using them in places where it's like completely inappropriate, which is everywhere, but it doesn't matter. Um, but in China, this one guy was on his phone and he and, and he literally walked into a sort of waist high cement pylon in the walkway that was blocking mm -hmm an area and he flipped over it right and he landed on his back and he was okay and I didn't speak very good Mandarin at the time but a little old lady like runs from across the street and yeah. what looked like she was doing the whole time was scolding him for being on his phone oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> like she was shaking her, her finger she was at shaking him, her finger she was like yeah. bent over his face so close to his face mm -hmm. and she's shaking her finger in his <laughs> nose and he's like just looking at her with his hands splayed across the cement and his phone like right. a couple feet away <laughs> oh wow yeah I mean, that, that seems a little overboard. Like, he's already learned his lesson by falling over. Uh, oh, she just wanted to make sure he knew. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, he'll probably remember that for a while then. Um, anyway, what. will you read the poem, The Books for a New Child, just because I have a new child? And you have a new child, right? You, you yeah. do. Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good idea. Um Okay. Let me take a sip of tea because sure, sure. my mouth's getting dry. You're listening to KKUP um, Cupertino, this interview with uh, Raul Fernandez. I was supposed to take a break there. I, I think you probably heard the uh, the interview break, but anyway, let's keep uh, my, going. Here we go. I have a five-year-old boy and a four-month-old boy. And a four-month-old. So my, my baby's going to be six months this, this month. Yeah, I, I I felt that we were that they were pretty close in age cause from the photographs you were sharing. Yeah, and I think there was either a photograph or a video of um, of your child uh, clutching the, their toes. Yeah, uh, yeah, like on on the back, and my son's been doing that a lot. Um, uh, just as a, I don't know, it's it's very sweet. It is so sweet. So, what is it like to be a father for you? What's what what is this experience like? Yeah, that's that's a good question. It's um, it's uh, it's definitely not what I thought fatherhood would be like, or I I I, I or I never thought uh, that I would. How should I put this? Um, I think I'm. I don't feel like when when you're young, you have this idea of a father and a mother as as people who are 
strong and have it together and confident and uh, know everything. Um, and uh, it's definitely not <laughs> that case for me right now. Uh, and so it's 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 a new thing in a sense. Like uh, it's being who I am and with all my sort of flaws and and things and uh but also having this uh a great responsibility um and so that's one thing it's also just such an emotional thing uh where i'm i just this such swings of emotion where i'm feeling such deep deep love and appreciation and connection and then it's other times where i just feel like tired and frustrated and uh I don't know, with the five-year-old, mm. he can be, you know, like healthily defiant and, <laughs> uh, um, you know, push my buttons and stuff. And uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's humbling to realize that um, I'm, I'm not as, like, calm and graceful as I think I am. <laughs> uh, it's like I'm calm and graceful when I'm sitting in the park reading a book, for sure. But... <laughs> um, not when a five-year-old's yelling at me to play something with him while I'm trying to cook dinner or things like that, you know. Um, so yeah, but it—I don't know—it feels—it feels great to be, to have something, just so uh, that is is greater than yourself in a way. That's like something outside you. That's um, that you kind of have to not sacrifice, but um it's the first time that there's things that are m- just more important uh than me and um and yet I have to take care of myself too uh-huh. but um <laughs> but there I I just I just I don't know I love I love kind of being um being being in the place where where I have things in my life that you know I just care about so much that are not just about me and my needs, you know? Like, right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. It's just, mm-hmm. um, it's nice to hear someone else thinking that way too. I mm-hmm. I always thought that maybe my temper would change when I became a mother. Um, mm. <laughs> like what was it originally uh, <laughs> before being a mother? Well, I, I have, I just have a temper. Like I, okay. I, I get to a boil, boiling po- point and then I have to stop everything that I'm doing and um, when I was younger, I would get in my car and just go for a drive and then come back home. Um, right. Now I'll do that once in a while, but you can't really do that with an infant. You know? No, yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, I'm going for a drive. You can, yeah. just sit there. You can lay on the bed. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah. it's this, this point of like, you, you, I, I thought that, oh, well, that'll definitely go away because there's no, I mean, I have this precious little um, amazing thing. And somehow all of the years of like my boiling over will just stop happening. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But it doesn't. So So I like, you know, luckily I have my husband who will be like, oh, I'll take over, you know. But but for the first several months I was at home by myself because he was, he's still in school. So he's finishing up some, some stuff with school, but he's on summer break. But when he wasn't on summer break, it was all day, every day. And it was really, really hard very difficult mm-hmm. um yeah so i just had to learn how to cope with it like just sit in the corner for a minute like put the baby in the crib and just like sit in the corner <laughs> right right yeah that's that's kind of what my wife has to do quite often now, now that i'm back at work uh, i took the first three months off mm. uh and then i you know uh but yeah there's times when it's uh it's hard and especially with another child uh kind of fighting for attention at the same time Mm. um there's times yeah you just kind of have to um yeah put them down and and sort of just focus on cooling cooling off Mm -hmm. uh until you're ready to to deal with it um yeah it's kind of it's a it's an everyday challenge and it's it can happen so suddenly where it's like oh everything's fine baby's happy and cooing and the boy's occupied with his lego Mm-hmm. And then, like five minutes later, it's like uh, you know, <laughs> crazy. It's like tornadoes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so, will you read that poem? Sure. Okay. Books for the new child. 
A book where a mountain appears overnight next to a village, and all the villagers are too afraid to climb it, except for the animals and the children. A book where your father and mother are planets, and you are a moon orbiting each of them in turn, and sometimes you comet away into space, a slight angle in your trajectory. A book of the world that existed before you. A man's hat blows off in a gust of wind before you. A woman washes her face in a stream before you. A cat holds a goldfinch in its mouth before you. A book on how to responsibly operate and maintain your alphabet. A book that runs on solar power, or runs on your mother playing the piano in the other room, or on your own breathing, or on your own eyes upon the pages. A book that's folded into an origami crane. You don't want to open it up. No, you want to, but no, it will never fold fold back into the same bird. <laughs> a book where no mention is made of money. A book where the stars are reachable with an ordinary stepladder and the ocean is a postman who comes right up to your front gate and no mention is made of money. A book about animals that are so kind they do not eat each other and live on sunlight and flowers in a meadow, but they are always hungry and the book is small enough to fit in your po chest pocket and the book is thick enough to absorb a bullet. Mm -hmm. A book that explains the stages of the Earth's water cycle in detail and what that teaches us about love. A book about an elephant that wants to live at the bottom of the ocean and what that teaches us about love. A dream dictionary which won't ever be read, but whose pages are fed into the fireplace through the winter. A book about you that I'm holding in my hands right now, this late evening, Pages blank as the moon sailing across the whole length of our window. Mm. Gosh, that's so good. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm glad you liked that poem. Um, I had a lot of fun re writing it. Well, that's good. It's a really beautiful poem. Um, and so we're getting to the end of this conversation, but I do want to get maybe two of your favorite poems from you. Sure, okay. Um, wow, it's, I have a whole bunch of books in front of me. So, uh, <laughs> I will, let's see. Um, yeah, how about I'll, I'll read one American poet and one Canadian poet. Okay. Um, uh, do you know the poet David Berman? I do not. Okay, he's, uh, he's only published one book. He's... Uh, He's more known as a singer in a band called the Silver Jews. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he wrote this incredible book called Actual Air. Um, and uh, yeah, I, uh, it's one of those, I think I just found it uh, in a bookstore. And the first poem just uh, really, really took me. So I, and I had to buy the book. So I'll read the first poem. Okay. Um, it's called Snow. Walking through a field with my little brother Seth, I pointed to a place where kids had made angels in the snow. For some reason, I told him that a troop of angels had been shot and dissolved when they hit the ground. He asked who had shot them, and I said a farmer. They were, they were on the roof of the lake. The ice looked like a photograph of water. Why, he asked, why did he shoot them? I, did not, I didn't know where I was going with this. They were on his property, I said. When it's snowing, the outdoors seemed like a room. Today, I traded hellos with my neighbor. Our voices hung close in the new acoustics, a room with the walls blasted to shreds and falling. We returned to our shoveling, sorry, we returned to our shoveling, working side by side in silence. But why were they on his property, he asked. That's the poem. Um, nice. Yeah, it's so, it's so strange. Um, it's such a like it, I don't know. I I still don't know what what he's doing with it. But um, just to have that conversation happen and have the sort of the images in between the conversation mm -hmm. and just to end with that question by but why were they on his property? I don't know. So it's, it's a remarkable poem. I think so, too. That's really nice. What is the David Berman? How do you spell the last name? It's B-E-R-M-A-N. Okay. Yeah. And the, and, book, uh, and the book is called? 
it's called Actual Air. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, he's... Uh, I don't know what's going on with him. He, he decided he, like, broke up the band uh, a little while ago and uh, seemed like he was going to stop writing. And um, so I'm, I'm hoping that he, he still writes more. It's, it's really, really interesting, cool poems. Mm, uh, nice. Yeah. And that's uh, him. And is he Canadian or is he the, he's the Canadian? He's the American. He's the American. Yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was hard. It was hard, like it's hard pick, picking poems. I, there's a lot of poets I like, but I I realize that I I like their their voice and 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 their books, but they weren't like particular poems. Maybe that that stood out as being amazing. Mm. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to choose. It's just I always feel I'm neglecting some poets when I choose other poets. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's the complication of the favorite poem project. It's like when right. you ask a poet who their favorite, what their favorite poem is. It's like, it's it's like a poisonous question. <laughs> yeah, it's a difficult. I always evade it when people ask me. Um, I'm like, I'll I'll email you a list. <laughs> you telling people that, and then <laughs> and then I don't get around to it. Um, <laughs> but uh, oh, I should have typical poets. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, like go go to go to the library, spend a few hours just picking random books off, off shelves, and <laughs> eventually find something you like. Um, which is what I used to do. Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, your next poet. Yeah, I'll read a poem about with the uh, sorry by a contemporary poet of uh, like a friend of mine um, mm. who lives in Vancouver uh, and I met her a number of years ago maybe five six years ago um, at a reading and just really struck by her poem so I was like oh we should go for coffee mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that's the thing I do whenever I um, meet a poet I really like I, I demand that they go for coffee <laughs> with me <laughs> um, and uh, yeah she's been she's a a, a on the same publish uh, the same publisher as me, uh, okay. Nightwood Editions, um, and I don't know a lot of people uh, kind of connect uh, the two of us together in a way. Like we, there's certain things we do that are similar, mm. um, and I, yeah, I, I'll leave it at that. I'll read one of her poems, um, and this is kind of a. Uh, not being able to write poem, mm. uh, maybe like uh, which I think every poet probably writes a poem where they write about not being able to write. Uh, but this one's was actually very good. Uh, it's called Poetry Shortage. And who is it by? Will you tell me? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I should say that uh, mm. her name's Kayla Zaga. Um, her last name is spelled C Z A G A. Okay. And uh, the book's called For Your Safety, Please Hold On. Okay. A, a sign you see on the buses out here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, poetry shortage. Rain again, blurring the world beyond the window. Days slip off as I sit at my desk, vague segments named to give them shape. To say, on Monday I woke up and constructed a routine. I ate through my life, sensing it was sufficient, if not memorable. Time does not finish a poem. No, it finishes us. My houseplants shiver with me into another winter of not thriving. My cat's wet nose presses cold into my calf, tickles like new snow. She curls into dark corners to sleep. I think the world is running out of poetry. We can't prove there will be more clear days to compare to apples. Traffic shucks continually through the rain, the din of it, muffling my head. The hum, the hum that goes on with or without us, simply not, simply to go on. I hate the things people tell me about art, creativity being this bigot event we're all invited to. Hmm. To me, it's always been an ache. It's always been an ache I can't compare to anything, which is which I try to compare everything else to. I don't feel it these days. The same old wind blows over buildings, flapping like a mouth. I still wander sometimes, my coat closing the world out of my body, with pockets full of garbage, with my slender, steady want. I still make the bed, 
and at bedtime and make it. You're listening to KKUP Cupertino. That was Raul Fernandez, author of Transmitter and Receiver. This is Out of Our Minds um, Poetry Radio. I'll be back in August. Here's um, El Chicano to play you out, and then you'll have Joe Soja. Thanks, Joe, for letting me take a little time. Sorry, it's running uh, long. All right, here we go. show you ah for the things you would see ah amigo vengo amigo ah to my fair country I was raised in the heart of the city raised up and poor 